Well, good morning to you. For those who do not know me, my name is Rich Carrico. I'm uh, transitioning out of being a treasurer here. It's uh, part of the topic that I'll be speaking about uh, this morning. And I'm transitioning also out of the uh, leadership to devote my time primarily to our men's ministry. And so pastor asked me if I would uh, come and speak on the last um, session. Uh, pastor has the uh, newcomers class, so I'm thankful for the uh, privilege to be able to do that. The title of my lesson is going to be Money Matters, and why should money or finances really matter to the believer? Well, there's a couple of uh, reasons I believe it should matter. Number one, the Bible speaks regarding money in over 2,300 uh, different verses in Scripture. So obviously, the Lord has a lot to communicate to us about money, and so those, that's an important reason why we should be knowledgeable in this area. And also, we're going to look at some verses that I believe are really going to unpack the importance of how money impacts our earthly life as well as our eternity. And I want everyone here to be knowledgeable in that area of that impact that it has, and that's a, that's a serious impact. A couple of areas that I would like to uh, discuss this morning is, number one, is the tithe, um, is, is a New Testament believer responsible for the tithe? So I'd like to be able to discuss that. And then also I'd like to look at the model of giving uh, that's recorded for us in the New Testament. Now before I get into our first point, I'd like to just give a couple of disclaimers. I know that a pastor really only speaks regarding money when it's included in the passage that he's speaking on. So he doesn't go out of his way, or he, he didn't say to me as treasurer, hey, Rich, you know, how are we doing with the giving? Are we, you know, are we behind? Do I need to kind of zap the congregation a little bit to, uh, to get, the, uh, get the offerings up? He never did that. He, and he only really speaks regarding money, again, as if he's dealing with it in, in the passage. So certainly not abused, and I don't know what kind of a church background you have. I do know of, uh, I've had some testimonies from those of you who are here that in other churches that wasn't quite uh, the way finances was handled. It was always out front with people. So we want to make sure that we give you the proper uh, teaching regarding finances. Also, this is not a beat-down lesson on giving. In fact, this church is a faithful and sacrificial giving church. And what I mean by that is being the treasurer here for 13 years, that we always met our budget. We, were never, we never were in want for money here to be able to meet the expenses that we had on behalf of the church. So I want to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. And then also, this church is uh, sacrificially given as well. And I can recall when we were, we had Pastor Brown led a meeting in terms of that we needed to be able to uh, raise support from the church to be able to move forward to, to purchase this building. And I remember thinking and planning for that meeting, you know, the, the number that we needed to be able to move forward. And I will just uh, thankfully say that this church blew beyond that number by about 30 or 40 percent. So this church does sacrificially give. So again, this is not a beat-down message on finances, but again, it does impact our earthly life as well as our eternity. So I want to be able to convey these, um, 
these messages uh, to you. So let's uh, consider our first point. Is the New Testament believer responsible uh, to the Old Testament tithe? And I will just tell you, and maybe just because I'm a, a treasure type guy, that I lock in on listening to people discuss regarding the tithe. And I will tell you, there's, I can't think of another topic where I feel that a lot of people are confused on, and that's regarding the tithe. So I'd like to be able to spend a little bit of time here uh, to do such. And I'm talking that believers that have walked with the Lord for many times, I've, I've spoken with uh, different leaders of different organizations. In fact, I can think of one organization that... Uh, made a pitch to our leadership team regarding a, a church planning. It was a, it was a good organization for church planning. But once he found out that I was the treasurer of the church, he asked me point blank in front of everyone, you know, is your church a tithing church? And I just said, well, our church, is, our church faithfully gives. And that's the way I would classify our church. We faithfully give. So... I believe this brother had a misunderstanding regarding the tithe, and obviously I wasn't going to sit there and arm wrestle him with him at that particular time. So, but I would like to be able to go through this with you this morning. So I hope to show you this morning who the tithe is for, how much was it, and why was it instituted. And to be able to show you that, I'd like to take a high-level view of giving throughout Scripture. And I'd like to break it down into really three periods of time. We have uh, from Genesis to Moses, which would be pre-law, from Moses to Christ, which would be the time of the law, and then from Jesus to present, which basically be for the New Testament believer. And I'd really like to show you this morning that in those three periods, the giving was really the same. I think that we have this idea in our minds that there was different giving in the Old Testament opposed to the New Testament. Now, some things were a little different. But primarily, there were two types of giving in all three periods of time. There was required giving or taxation or a form of taxation. And then there was voluntary giving or free will giving. And I'd like to be able to show those two two types of giving in these three periods of time. So if we look at the first period um, before Moses or the law, uh, we see in the first part of Scripture in the book of Genesis that there's no statement from the Lord regarding tithing at all. In fact, we'll see here in just a minute that uh, Abraham and Jacob, they both gave a tenth at, at particular times, but we'll show you it was just arbitrary in terms of their giving. So I'd like to spend the first uh, this first part really looking at the free will giving or just voluntary giving that was given in the first part of the Bible in Genesis. And we see in Genesis 4-3 that uh, Cain and Abel brought offerings to the Lord. And again, this wasn't, uh, it wasn't requirement of them. This was voluntary giving. Also, we see in uh, Genesis um, 8 that Noah makes an offering to the Lord. And this is after... Um, the flood had receded, and we can see that this was purely voluntary giving um, on behalf of Noah. In Genesis uh, twelve seven, Abraham builds an altar unto the Lord to give an offering. Again, this was voluntary um, uh, offering given by him, and he did it again in Genesis 13. If you wouldn't mind, uh, and again, I'm just going to read these verses. If you'd like to flip to some of these verses, you're more than... Um, 
feel free to do so. But I'm going to be reading from Genesis 14.20. And this is really the first time that we can see that someone gave a tenth. And this is Abraham. And just to give you a little bit of a background, they had just had a great victory, and they're basically bringing back the spoils that they've had from that uh, victory. And um, in verse 18, it says that then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And we can see from this passage that it was arbitrary that he decided to give a tenth. It wasn't commanded by God that he give a tenth. So this was voluntary and free giving that was given in this first period of time. And really, the first time that we see required giving, uh, we see it recorded in Genesis 41 and 47. And at this time, uh, Joseph, and I think you're familiar with the story where Joseph was appointed by Pharaoh to, uh, to manage the kingdom, and he had a dream. And Joseph was able to interpret that dream that there was going to be seven years of fruitful crops, and then there was going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph put together a plan that what they were going to do is they were going to tax the people 20% for seven years. And then they were going to store that, uh, the, uh, the crops that they were able to uh, store during that time and prepare for the seven years of famine. And so they were successfully able to basically get through the, that famine period of time by this taxation. So we can see here that this is really the first time that there was required giving or it was taxation on the people. And it was uh, 20% basically to fund the government of Egypt. So we can see we've got the voluntary giving and then we've got the required giving. And that really carries through into our next period of time, which is uh, from Moses to Jesus, which is uh, um, the time of the law. And we'll deal with the uh, Israel's tithe first. And most of us are familiar that uh, the Israelites had a tithing system that was instituted by the Lord. So if you would, if you can just take a look at Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And we can see uh, from this verse that the Lord, this is the Lord's tithe. And later in Numbers 18, it was considered the Levite's tithe. But you can see from this that God instituted this law that 10%, that the Israelites were to give 10% of everything that they had to the Lord on an annual basis. And you can see that this tithe was the Lord's. It wasn't even the Israelites. And if you are familiar with the verses from Malachi 3, where it talks about where God says to the Israelites, basically, you've robbed me of my tithes. And this is what he's speaking about. This tithe right here, this 10%, was 
part of his law that the Israelites give to him. So if they did not give it, they were in essence robbing, robbing God. And then we see in Deuteronomy uh, 12, 6 through 17, I'm not going to ask you uh, to, to turn there, but also there was another tithe, and it was really the, the festival tithe. And this is the tithe that was given that they had basically kind of a, a national potluck in Jerusalem every year. And this, again, was another 10% that the Israelites uh, gave for this. So th- these were taxes or a form of taxation that was given by the Israelites, required by the Israelites, to support the theocracy, the, uh, the government that uh, the Lord had uh, instituted. And also there's one other tithe, and it's the poor, the welfare tithe. And if you want to uh, look at Deuteronomy uh, 14, 28 through 29. It says, At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of last year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. So we can see that this is, this is the third portion, really, of the tithe that the Israelites were responsible for. So this ended up, so every three years they would give this. So it boiled down to three and a third percent. So if you add up the Lord's tithe or the Levite's tithe, the festival tithe, and then also this uh, uh, poor tithe, you can see that the Israelites gave 23 and a third percent every year. So for those who might think that we're still tithing, if you really wanted to follow the letter of the law, you'd be giving 23 and a third percent of all that you make during the year. Uh, Also, there was another in Leviticus 19. It talks about do not glean the fields. And this was another uh, part of... um, uh, supporting the, the, the government for uh, Israel is that uh, if you were a landowner and you had your crops, you did not, there was the outer edges of your property, you did not pick every piece of fruit or vegetable or whatever it might be. You left that so that those who are poor, they know that they could come and they could, um, they could participate with that. So if you add all that up, you have roughly about 25% of all that the Israelites uh, had earned in a year that was part of the tithe. Now, um, the tithe, again, is, this is required giving. This is a form of taxation that would support the government or theocracy uh, during this time. But also during this time, there was also free will and voluntary giving. And I think that sometimes we think that it was just the tithe that they were responsible for, and that's not it, because primarily, I mean, the tithe was used to support the government and pay for the different expenses that they had. Uh, the Levites, uh, the priests, were the, who the Lord's tithe was given to, they did not work. And they essentially, they ran the government, and they, were, um, uh, they shepherded uh, the people there and uh, handled... Uh, dealt with their uh, spiritual uh, needs. So, but if we look at the free will giving and the voluntary giving, uh, let's look at Numbers uh, 18.12. 
And it says, I give you all the finest olive oil and all the finest new wine and grain. They give the Lord as the first fruits of their harvest. So this, is, this was voluntary for the, for the Israelites. And the Lord had, um, this was a voluntary giving that they gave their best. The first fruits were really, at the first part of the harvest, was really the best part of the harvest. I'm not an agricultural guy, but uh, they tell me that that was the best part of the harvest, was the, was the first fruits. And then also, when they gave at the very beginning of their harvest time, they were not guaranteed on how the harvest was going to turn out. So they were trusting God that by giving their first, their first fruits, which was the best, and they were also trusting in God that he was going to provide for the rest of the harvest. So, but this was a voluntary, and this also equates back to Malachi 3, where God did say that they did not give their first fruits. They did not give their tithes and offerings, nor did they give their first fruits to him, and which uh, they definitely paid the price spiritually uh, for that. Also in uh, Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs uh, 3 9, let's go ahead and read that. It talks about the, uh, the first fruits as well. In verse uh, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So you can see here on how the Lord blesses when they would give their first fruits, they would give their best and trust in Him. Also in Proverbs eleven, twenty four and twenty five, it says, um, "Give liberally, and get increase, or or not, which leads to poverty." So again, there's no requirement that's given here. It's just it's voluntary giving. It's free will giving by the Israelites uh, to the Lord. And then also in um, Exodus uh, twenty five one, um, we see that. Um, the Lord had wanted to have a, a sanctuary uh, built for himself, and he asked uh, Moses, in fact, it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And we can see from this verse, this is on top of the tithe, the, the taxation that was applied, that this is free will giving that God just asked basically what is prompted in their hearts for them to give. And we can also see that in First Chronicles 29.9, basically David did the same thing when he went to the Israelites uh, to build a temple and to ask the people uh, what to give. And back in uh, Exodus 25.1, I f- failed to mention was that, um, that the Lord asked for each man who heart prompts him to give, and the giving was so... Um, the people gave so much for this sanctuary to be built. I mean, they gave of their gold or silver, the precious stones, that Moses actually had to stop the giving. They had so much. The people gave more than what was required. And uh, this was a great time in, in Israel's history. So we can see from, this second, um, from our second period of time that there was a required giving of taxation, and there was also the voluntary and the free will giving that was given 
um, uh, along with that. Which leads us uh, to, the, to the last time, which was uh, uh, Jesus to the present, um, um, which is a New Testament giving. So I'd like to just kind of look at a couple of uh, verses here. Uh, the first one being in uh, Matthew seventeen twenty four. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw in your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Now that's a way to pay your tax bill right there. (laughs) So I imagine within the next couple months we're going to see people down in the Detroit River, you know, trying to bring in some fish. But we can see here that even Jesus, in this, this tax, this temple tax, was for all the males that were over 20. And this tax was used to really to, for maintenance for, for the temple. And so they paid this. But you can even see here that Jesus paid his taxes. And he says that in, when it says, um, um, for whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from, from their own sons or from others, that basically the kings did not tax their sons. So Jesus being the son of God, uh, that's why Peter uh, asked that. But uh, we can see here that Jesus did not want to offend anyone, and he did pay his taxes. Also, if you flip over a few pages to uh, Matthew uh, 22, 15 through 22, I'll go ahead and read these verses. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, just to give it a little bit of context here, the, um, the Pharisees were still paying tithes under um, the tithing system. So they were paying tithes f- to support the government, and then also the Romans were taxing them as well. So they started getting pinched here a little bit and feeling that they had double taxation. So they wanted to ask Christ um, to, to answer this for them. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought, they brought him a denarius, and, and he asked them, Whose portrait is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God which is God's. And this is the, re, this is the required giving that is in the New Testament that we have in this present day is our taxation for the government. 
As we know, being uh, April 15th, you have to have your tax return into the government, and if you don't have it in, <laughs> uh, and you don't get an extension, uh, they will find means to, uh, to get their money. So we can see that we've started with the taxation in Egypt of the 20%, and then it carried through uh, in the time of the law of the time of the tithe, which was uh, 23 and a third, or, or close to 25% taxation. And if you, look at, uh, if you look at your tax bill and you kind of come to a rough percentage, uh, it could be anywhere from uh, 20% to 25%, depending on, you know, based on your income and, and write-offs and things of, that you have of that nature. But as we come into this tax season, we can see that this was instituted by God, that it be carried through this required giving in our taxation. So we should smile when we, when we pay our taxes. And I'm as guilty as everyone else, you know, when we, uh, when we pay our taxes, I mean, obviously we're looking for as many write-offs as we possibly can that are, that are honest write-offs, but um, we can see here that this 20 to 25% has carried over from each, each period of time. So I'd like to just give a little bit of conclusion, and then what I would like to do is just kind of transition into the model for giving for the, uh, for the New Testament. But I believe that these passages that we've looked at, even though we've kind of bounced through them fairly quickly, um, it shows that the tithe was for the nation of Israel and the support of the theocracy, God's government. It was, it was uh, a form of taxation. And I think part of the confusion is, is that, you know, when I've talked with individuals throughout the year, They'll say that, you know, does your church tithe, like that one gentleman says. Or I'll talk to somebody else, and I talked with somebody last week, I told him I was speaking on, and he says, well, he says, um, yeah, shouldn't we be given 10%? And I just said, well, I mean, if you go by the model of the New Testament, uh, you know, that's up for the believer to determine. Now, if you want to say coming out of this, that I feel that, you know, the Lord instituted 10% to support the temple and in the Levites who use that for that. And this is a goal for me. Abraham and uh, Jacob, they arbitrarily gave 10%. I feel that that's a good goal for me to maybe institute in my giving. Then I think that that can be a good goal. But that's not for everyone. It doesn't mean that you have to give the 10% or the 23 and a third or 25%. And we'll get into the principles that are laid out in Second uh, Corinthians of what the model, what the model is. But I used to think um, that when I first started kind of looking at the tithe and how much I should be giving, I used to think it's almost kind of like where you have a big, um, uh, you have to make a big decision, and it's kind of like, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do. <laughs> So I kind of approached, you know, my giving. It'd be, Lord, it'd be so much easier just to tell me what is it the percentage that you want me to give. And when I first really started to study that, I thought that that was the case. But my my thought has really changed. Uh, my beliefs have changed on that, and I'll get in more on that of why my thoughts have changed because it is a privilege to be able to determine what we're going to give in a voluntary and free will uh, giving in the New Testament. But before we get into those verses, I'd like to just talk, just give a couple of foundational principles really uh, to giving, is that um, the first principle is God owns everything. 
And we need to understand that. It's not just, you know, well, I give whatever percentage I'm going to end up giving and that I own the rest. No, the Lord owns everything. In fact, Psalms 24, 1 says, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Those verses are clear. God owns everything. And Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. So the Lord owns everything. And then also, uh, we need to be wise stewards of the money that God gives us. And I'd like to look at some verses, and maybe you haven't considered these verses, but I'll tell you, these are just good verses to go to every so often. And it's in Luke 16, verses uh, 10 through 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what this, these verses are saying is that faithful stewardship of what you have on this earth, if you are faithful in being a wise steward of that money, then also the Lord will give you um, spiritual opportunities and spirit, so how spiritual uh, blessing so how can he trust you with spiritual things if you cannot even be trusted with your earthly money and so these are very powerful verses i think for all of us to really consider as we think of stewardship i mean there's a direct correlation between how we manage our money here and what kind of spiritual opportunities uh, the Lord will bless us with. And, and, and then also in Matthew 25, it talks about the, um, the parables of the talents and where the master left a certain amount of money to three of his servants and how they invested that, how, how they invested that money. So we see from these two passages of Scripture that we need to be wise stewards um, of that money. So if you would, turn to um, 2 Corinthians uh, 9, and starting in uh, verse 6. I'd like to get into, um, and this is part of the uh, free will giving or the voluntary giving in the New Testament that we're taught. And I believe this is really the model passage, really, for the New Testament believer to consider um, what you're going to be giving to the Lord. Because, again, we do have our required giving. Our required giving is our tax system here in this country to support this country. So I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 6 through 11. It is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteous endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So as we see, and uh, I just want to point out a few principles here that we, that we can uh, glean from these verses. And in verse 6, it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And again, this is an agricultural principle. The more seed that you sow, the more that you're going to get in return. And this is really investing with God, that you'll receive, that he will bless when you invest with God. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in, in verse 8 and exactly what that means in terms of um, being generously, uh, you'll reap generously. Verse 7 says, uh, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, um, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this verse here really, I think, is foundational because it really um, tells us that we need to predetermine what we're going to give to God. So how do we, how do we predetermine? Well, I think that we, it gives us, this verse here gives us four steps that we need to just line up. And if you, take, if you line up with the first one, it says, amount we have decided in our hearts um, and I'd like to also just point out 1 Corinthians 16.2, it says uh, to give according to our income. So if you take that first step, and if you decide in your heart what you're going to give based on your income, that would be the first step that we would, that we would need to uh, follow. The second step would be not reluctant, without, basically without grief or sorrow, or guilt. So we're predetermining what we're going to give, we're not going to do it with any grief or any guilt that we're giving. And our third point is uh, not under compulsion. So you're not under pressure or coercion. And I think as a church, we need to be very careful with this as the leadership. In fact, when we had our offering uh, to be able to get into this building, we, we said equal sacrifice for everyone. So it wasn't necessarily equal gifts. If you made more, you were able to, to give more. If you made less, then maybe you gave less. But it was an equal sacrifice that you give. And we've got to be very careful as a church not to put pressure on people in terms of their giving. So we tried to, we tried to honor this verse in that. Uh, and then also the last one is just so to do it cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. So I think if we line up these, first, these four steps here, that this is a good place for us to be able to start in terms of our giving. And I'll just tell you, I mean, this, these are verses that I have to, um, I have to preach to myself. <laughs> and I'm constantly working with money, and I have, I have the same temptations and same pressures uh, that you feel regarding the finances as well. So I have to apply this to myself uh, just like, like you do. And I will just tell you that through the years... It's a maturing process. It's just like your, your life in Christ, where we become more conformed to Christ. 
our giving will mature as, as, as we get older. And, and hopefully more monies might open up where we can, we, that, that might change our giving a little bit. But uh, it is a maturing process. And really, the way we view money is really, it is a spiritual barometer. And, and I have to fight against that because there's, there's times where, you know, I, I, need to, uh, I need to come back to these verses and we need to really consider that. I mean, considering that God has over 2,300 verses in Scripture regarding money, that tells us he wants to tell us something. We can't serve both God and money. And uh, we need to be able to find our joy in him and not in things of this world. It's not that we cannot enjoy the things of this world. But the difference is they don't grip us. When they start to grip you, then that's when I believe that we have you know, violated um, these, these passages. Verse 8 is a verse I really, I really enjoy. Um, it, and it just says a couple of things I just want to point out. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound in this verse. And the idea here of grace is not spiritual blessing. It is material blessing. It is money blessing that God will give, that God is able to make all grace abound. It also says you will abound in every good work. And I believe this, this passage here really talks about the velocity of giving. And what I mean by that is, is that if you give generously, God will replenish you. How he replenishes you, I have no clue. <laughs> That's for God to determine. I've experienced it in my life where he does, he gives back. But here's the difference. And you might say, well, you know, you kind of sound like one of those TV preachers. <laughs> Maybe I do a little bit there. But uh, the difference is, is that, you know, they talk about giving money so that you'll get and basically you can spend money on whatever you want. But that's not what these verses are talking about. Um, in uh, verses uh, 10 through 11, it talks about being able to give back to those in need. So this philosophy of giving is, as you invest with God, you give your money generously to God, God will replenish you. That's what these verses are saying. Not so that you can spend money on yourselves or whatever your desires are, even though we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, but, also, but so that you'll receive that money so that you can give back to others who are in need. And that's essentially the gospel, is that uh, we understand who we are before Christ and that everything was given to us. I mean, every, all the, uh, God supplies for all of our needs and he's given us salvation. And, um, but we are to be grateful people and to be able to give back. And there's really not a, there's not a greater way to spend your money than to give it away. In fact, even um, uh, Warren Buffett and, and, and Bill Gates, what are they doing now? Bill Gates has a foundation. He's given his money away. And he's finding great satisfaction in that. So even those types of people are finding out that just having money to spend it on yourselves is not where it's at. It's giving back to, to other people. And then verses uh, 10 through 15, it just shows us why God blesses your gift so that we can, as I just mentioned, so that we can, um, we can uh, share it with others. 
So that is really the model of giving in the New Testament. And I think in verse 6, um, or excuse me, verse 7, if we line up those, those four steps, then that would give us a, a good foundation in terms of, in, in terms of giving. Um, there are just a few other mentions of the tithe that's uh, given in the New Testament. Uh, you have the Pharisees uh, that talk about, you know, they, they gave 10% of uh, cumin and mint and, and all that. Uh, you have in Hebrews where it talks about uh, Abraham, he gave a tenth, but again, it was an arbitrary giving of the tenth. And sometimes that can maybe confuse us, but the tithe is not for the New Testament believer that I believe, and we see in these passages of Scripture. But this is really the model for giving that we see um, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. And what I'd like to do is just kind of, well, wrap things up here. <laughs> um, I'd like to just give some application. And um, I, I would like to just point out is that um, no matter what, your, your financial circumstances are, um, it's, it's the equal sacrifice. It's like when Christ saw the, the lady who gave the mite. And, but he also saw all the, the men with the wealth, and they were putting in you know, great numbers of dollars into the offering. And he says, this lady gave more than they did because she sacrificed more. So just because we might not have much now in finances, we can still give, and God sees that. He sees the heart. And that's why with the rich, uh, or the, uh, uh, the rich um, man in, in Scripture where it talks about where Christ said, you know, give everything. What would I have to do to uh, attain eternal life? He just says, give, give everything to the poor. And he went away sorrowful because that's what gripped him was his money. So God, God does look at our hearts. But I'm just going to give you a, a quickly... A few um, applications just to take home. And these are just suggestions. They're not, you know, you've got to write them down, and this is what I've got to do. But uh, uh, buy into that how I give impacts my life now and for eternity. As I've kind of noticed some guys that have, uh, in families that have given, given money, they buy into that what they're giving now is they are impacting their life now in terms of the Lord replenishes them and that, so that they can give more. And it also impacts their eternity. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, Matthew 6.19, it talks about building treasure in heaven. Not, not material things here, which rust and moth are going to destroy eventually, but that we store our uh, treasures in heaven. Uh, we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 9.8, where it says, well, God will replenish. And then also 1 Timothy 6.19 it says, lay up treasure for themselves. It talked about people with money, rich people, that they're laying up um, treasures for themselves in the coming age. So it talks about that we're making that transition where we're giving to God now because we want to uh, reap the dividends uh, for our eternity. And you might think, well, that's, you know, that could be maybe somebody could be kind of selfish about that. Well, I'm just going to get, because I'm going to get later on. Well, I don't believe that you'll persevere in that line of thinking very long with money. If, if, that, if, you're, if, you're, if your thought is, it's just so that I can recoup. But God gives us these verses that he will bless us in eternity. And it does impact our eternity. Uh, number two, uh, predetermine what you're going to give based on what we've learned in 1 Corinthians uh, 9-7. I think we talked about lining up those, uh, those four steps. Um, Thirdly, an advice 
turn that amount. So whatever you've predetermined, what I would do is I would turn it into a percentage. And I think we're already used to that. I mean, everybody's heard, you know, pay yourself first. Well, you get money. Well, I'm going to, you know, put 5% in savings or 10% or whatever it might be. Uh, your 401k, you pick a percentage and they just take it right out of your checking account. So I would encourage you to do that. I mean, if you're looking to be, uh, if you want to be a good giver, turn that, uh, what you predetermined to give, into a percentage. So you might run into, you might get a bonus at work. Okay, cool. I'm going to give whatever percentage. I'm going to take that bonus. I'm going to give an extra percentage uh, to the Lord. Uh, you might receive an inheritance. That's a great time to say, okay, <laughs> I've already predetermined. I've locked it in a percentage. I'm going to give that back to the Lord. Uh, it could be the estate plan. Um, and I think with a lot of us, we think, uh, okay, well, I want to help my kids out. And that's a good thing. And the scripture talks about that, that that's a good thing. But uh, think about your giving in, in your estate plan. And again, if you want to be a good giver, if you want to take these verses seriously, then those are just some areas that I see that, uh, that maybe might be helpful. Um, also, just talking regarding a, a wise stewardship, uh, we're going to have a financial, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace uh, University this summer, and we're going to look at um, you know, debt and, and giving and, and all that, but being a wise steward. And there's so many different things that we have, that the Lord has given us money for. Uh, we have to support our families. Lord's, uh, the Scripture says that if we don't uh, support our own family, that we're worse than an unbeliever. So we've got that. Uh, we give uh, back to the Lord. Our retirement. Uh, people today that are working today, you are going to have to rely primarily on your 401k. Now, again, God provides, but you're going to have your 401k. You're going to provide for your health care for some degree as well. So we have to set money aside for that. Uh, we also have regular savings, your emergency fund uh, that we have to provide money for. And then recreation. I mean, God, there's a number of scriptures that says God wants us to enjoy our time on this earth in giving glory to him. We find joy in him. So whatever you decide to, where you find your enjoyment, whether it's golf or uh, shooting guns or whatever the ladies like to do, uh, we can find enjoyment in there. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with spending money on vacations in that. The difference is, is that it doesn't consume us. It doesn't just grip us that that's all there is to life. I mean, if I enjoy golf and I'm, you know, I got to have every golf magazine and I'm planning all my trips that I'm going to go to all these exotic golf courses around the world and my golf leagues and all that, and that's all I think about, I think I've crossed the line at that point. Uh, so anyway, we want to be able to help you uh, with that, with Financial Peace uh, University this summer, to be wise stewards because going through that is very enlightening when you find what you spend your money on. And if you want to be a good giver, you can say, you know what? I'm going to get this thing paid off so I can free up some more money. Or I can reallocate how I'm spending money. So again, these are just um, ideas on being able to uh, uh, help us uh, be good givers. And I'll close with this, that I, I mentioned uh, early on that um, I thought when I first started my study of, of you know, what I should give, I thought to myself, it would just be so much easier just to have a percentage. Lord, just give me the percentage, <laughs> and that's what I'm going to give. But really, in light of these verses, if you think about it, we have a great privilege. I mean, what you do now impacts your earthly life in your eternity. 
If you give just out of duty, if we give just based out of a percentage and give out of duty, and that's it, then to me that would be short-sighted. But what Scripture paints for us is that it affects our earthly life and our eternity. I think that's a great motivation for us to be good givers. So I appreciate your attention, and I'll close with some prayer and we'll be done. Father, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we just, we're grateful people because all that you've done for us, Lord, you've, you've uh, saved us, Lord, you've provided uh, uh, salvation to us, you support our uh, material needs, Lord, and you bless us in so many ways that we do not deserve, and we just, uh, we're thankful for that, Lord. We're, we're thankful for your word and for the principles that we can glean from it and how we can be good givers towards you, Lord. And uh, we just, uh, we're thankful for that. Help us to be able to, um, to work our way through these, Lord, because it's difficult for all of us when we're dealing with money, Lord, because of our sinfulness. Our sinfulness gets in the way. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll clear our minds and clear our hearts, Lord, as we give back to you, Lord, that we can be rich towards you. And we just thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.